and welcome to another episode of A Little Spooky. This is the show where we talk about things that scare us just a little bit, like cryptids, UFOs, conspiracy theories, urban legends, or that feeling when you settle down in a library chair to read a good book, but you realize the cushion feels kind of wet. My name's Colleen. My name is Everett. When is the last time you've been in a library? It has been a long time. It's been a, a significantly long time. I used to, in high school, uh, during the summers, I would go to the library every day just to get out of the house when I wasn't working. Yeah. Best, best best place to read. Oh, I was just wondering because it's COVID times and yeah, no, no one's, one's been to a library in almost a year. Don't over you miss a year. it? I guess. Not the wet cushions, though. Yeah, I mean, okay, so I now, having gone to library school, I will never sit in a non-vinyl or plastic-covered chair at a library ever again. Yeah, you can't really clean the inside of a cushion. Yeah, and you would be appalled if you knew the sorts of things that happened on those chairs. You can guess, but the history of that chair... Just don't. Books are dirty and gross. That's the lesson. Don't go to the library. No, not books. Chairs. <laughs> Just stand. I have a question for you. Yeah. This is actually something I have been contemplating for quite a while. Which of these two options is scarier to you? Okay, go. A house completely made of metal. So not only the outside, but all of the inside, the furniture and everything made of metal, like a chrome-type metal. So okay, so we're not talking like a tin chair, like, or aluminum. No, we're talking just, about just like, like a nice, like... Just like, yeah, like a looks like steel or something. Okay. Just, or like, you know, a silvery finish. Sure. That or a house, same circumstances, but wood. Which would be creepier? Yeah. Be, like, think about it. It's not just, like, the outside. Because, like, you know, houses have metal yeah. sidings or wood yeah, yeah, siding. Yeah. But, like, everything inside, like, the chairs and the countertops, all wood or all metal. I'm not feeling particularly creeped out by either option. I, I feel think- like if you stepped into, like, a living room and everything was made of wood or everything was made of metal, just the same color. Yeah, yes. Like, it was just a little, like, there. it's that whole concept of liminal spaces that's kind of like a recent trendy, spooky thing, too, where it's like, you know, a weird, unnatural feeling place. Yeah, okay, so I would pick the metal one as being creepier, I guess, because both of them kind of remind me of horror movies. Like, the all-metal would kind of remind me of being in, like, a torture dungeon basement sure. type deal. Or like a, like a warehouse. Yeah. But all wood kind of reminds me of that creepy like cabin. Yeah, cabin feel. Feel. See, that's kind of what I think too. Because like, I think aesthetically the metal one is probably a little bit more sinister. Yeah. But at the same time, the wood one, I'm thinking like inherently a little creepier because it's like the corpses of living beings. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I have stayed at an Airbnb or like hotels where they have the, like the decor is supposed to be all like cutesy and woodsy and like the beds made out of pine. Right. But I'm, I'm saying like, not even like, you know, blankets, like everything. No, I know that what I'm saying is those places with only like wood decor still creep me out. Wood paneling. No. Oh, I don't like it. It's too, I don't, I don't know. know. It's, it's too cabin-y. I, I like guess. It. I think because I've only ever stayed at like hotels or like cabins with that sort of decor, it feels like isolated and scary. Yeah, that's true. As opposed to like homey. That's true. Anyways, I'm going to I'm still going to go with the metal. Think of how echoey that would be. I mean, I think either of them would be pretty echoey. I just feel like metal would be worse, but that's might just be in my head. Anyways, what are we talking about? Speaking of creepy houses. Okay. Segway. Nice. We're talking about a specific house in Gary, Indiana. Mm. One of the spookiest places in all of America. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, isn't there a serial killer from there? Maybe. BTK's definitely from Indiana. Maybe. I don't recall. But... I think Gary, Indiana may be more well-known for this specific house. It's a haunted house that was rented by the Ammons family. 
Ammons? Yes. Or maybe Amons. Sorry. It's it's the Amons family. The Amons. Yes. Um, some people like to call this house the portal to hell. Ooh. This story is, and it's like a haunted house story, and, you know, it's a little bit cliche, but this one is crazy with how much activity there was and how much corroboration there was from multiple people other than the family that lived there. So... Question, I'm sure you're going to cover this, but this is a simple question. Yeah. I, when it comes to haunted house stories, they're usually like old, like old Victorian stories. Sure. Is this an old story or a new I, story? What are we talking about? I didn't about? even think to look how old the house was. I shouldn't say the house. I'm talking the time period in which it occurs. 2012. Whoa. So very okay. recent. So, I mean, other than the like paranormal activity movies... Which are, you know, movies and not real. Like, modern hauntings. Modern as in, like, 2010s. Are, they're kind of rare to me. Because usually when you see scary movies, it's like Victorian yeah, mansions. That's, and that's true. I, I, yeah, that is true. I think a lot of people immediately think of that. But at the same time, you're not one to really watch too many things. No, that are like not. Ghost Adventures or those types of shows. No, you're right. They, they do a lot of the newer stuff, too. Okay. But regardless, uh, with this house specifically, I didn't look up like when it was built exactly, but I have seen a lot of footage of this house. This house seems kind of newer. Like it's kind of, I don't know, I would guess it was probably built in the 50s. Okay, that's, that's maybe Maybe a little too. older too, but regardless, it's not like a Victorian house or anything. But I wonder, it's not the house, it's, the, it's a portal to hell. That's just what it's called, the portal to hell. So Latoya Amon, she's the matriarch of the family, moves into this house with her mother, Rosa Campbell, and her three children, who are unnamed because they're minors, but sure. it's two sons who are aged seven and nine, and a daughter, an older daughter, who is aged 12. And they move into this rental home in Gary, Indiana, in November of 2011. Okay. So I guess it technically starts in 2011, but in December, after about a month of living there, the first weird thing they notice is on their porch, which is kind of like an outside porch that's separated by a screen door, and then there's the porch area, and then you get to the actual door of the house. Right. Yep. Like, yeah, like a summer yeah, porch, I, I, whatever, the Three Seasons porch, I think it's what sure. it's called. It was swarmed by flies. That's not unheard of. You know, of course, no. a Three Seasons porch or something similar, you know, could have an infestation of pests. Right. It's kind of outside still. So, you know, they just kill all the bugs right they like get insecticide and stuff and kill all of them sure but they keep coming back Ugh. they keep keep coming back and it's just like full of bugs in this porch area Ugh. and despite the incoming winter weather as well where it gets colder and colder these flies keep showing up and it's you know a porch screen area so it, you would think the temperature would kill them too but they keep yeah. showing up oh, we're talking like house flies or just yeah, a variety of bugs? I've, no, flies. Specifically house okay. flies. And, I mean, of course, that makes me think of, like, plague-type stuff. Yeah, or, like, dead body. True. Yeah. Did I ever tell you the story about that time we found flies, like, all over in our house? And we were looking for the source of it. We couldn't figure it out. And then we finally opened the microwave, and it turns out my mom left, like, an old oh, okay. piece of hamburger I, when you say, in there. When you said our house, I thought you meant me and you. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Yeah. But we honestly, like, it was like, it was an abnormal amount of flies. You open the microwave and it is just a white maggot covered, I don't know, ground turkey log that we forgot about. Sounds unsanitary. Right. I'm just saying, well, yes, definitely unsanitary. <laughs> but I'm just saying lots of flies could, could, could be anything. <laughs> could be ground turkey. Well, regardless, flies not inherently, like a sign of supernatural activity it could just be right. something that's in their porch exactly. but as time goes on as the weeks go by they notice other stuff so latoya and rosa would make sure that the door to the basement was closed and locked just because it's another exit entrance to the house as well okay it's just how the house is set up constantly or just like every night every night okay yeah so at night they would go to bed but then they would be woken up in the middle of the night because they would hear footsteps and creaking noises throughout the house and they would find that the basement door would be opened even after it was locked and it would be opened by itself, apparently. Oh, I don't like that. One night, Rosa woke up and saw a shadow pacing in the living room. 
When she left her room to investigate, the shadow was gone, but there were wet footprints scattered across the floor. Could be an intruder, right? Doesn't necessarily yeah. mean it's a ghost. I, first thing I would think of is someone has a key or something. Or, or broke in. Broke in, right. Yeah, did they leave the house? Like, get out once you see wet footprints from a stranger in the living room? They didn't say. I mean, maybe, maybe not. Oh my god, I would leave. But all of that could be explained away for actual natural circumstances. Right. Real person. However, several months passed. On March 10th of 2012, Latoya's 12-year-old daughter and a friend were spending the night together, so the friend was sleeping over at their house. Sure. Around 2 a.m., Latoya went to check on them, and she found her daughter was unconscious and levitating above her bed. <sighs> Latoya yelled for her mother, Rosa, and they prayed until the daughter fell to her bed and woke up again. What? And she had no memory of what had happened. Maybe this is like a Sabrina the Teenage Witch situation where she is just becoming a witch. And when you levitate, that's, that's when you become a witch. You remember that show? That show was great. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so so that, that's unexpected. That's yes. one thing that you cannot. Right. So this at this point, and they were already creeped up by the other stuff. But this is like the, you know, it's cementing the idea that this is something supernatural, something that can't be explained. Mm -hmm. So they reach out to a bunch of churches for advice. Sure. I mean, where else do you go? Yeah. Right. And you you can't really call the police. I mean, you could about a potential home invasion, but mm -hmm. there's no like real evidence beyond the footprints. Well, I mean, they're just going to say if this happens again, call us. Right. I mean. Yeah. So they reach out to some churches and they're not really that helpful. They're just like, you know, made some suggestions like, you know, maybe anoint the house. We're mm -hmm. not going to do it personally, but if you would like to try it, you know, you could try it, anointing the doors with oil or something. I assume they didn't specify what kind of churches they went to. They went to several. So different like Right. So they tried like Lutheran, Catholic, oh, Methodist, okay. other forms of Christian churches. Sure. They tried a couple smaller things, but it didn't really seem to do anything. Mm -hmm. So then they reached up to two clairvoyants just for, you know, what their opinion is. Yeah. They claimed that this property was housing over 200 spirits. And there's literally nothing they can do about it. <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Do you have any more insight as to how they determined this? They just like I, walked in and they were like, wow, 200? This specific circumstance, I couldn't find any information if they actually visited or not. Sure. I assume they did. I would hope so. But it, it was two corroborating clairvoyants. I think they were separate people, unrelated. Sure. And both of them said something of that effect. Like... Oh, at least over a hundred spirits yes, living in this house. Correct. From what? Any explanation? What are they doing nope, there? No, nope, no. Where are they from? Just, just no explanation. Just they're it's housing dozens upon hundreds of spirits. Okay. Um, they suggested they could try burning like sage and stuff to maybe cleanse the house, but it probably won't work because there's so many spirits. So their advice was to literally just move out. Yeah, yeah, that's doable for everyone. Right. So, of course, they can't do that because they can't monetarily, right. like, figure out a way to pack up and move into a different property. Right. And none of them have gotten hurt. People are going to be like, you're, you're crazy. Well, after a little more time passes, they contacted a Catholic church. I believe they already tried this church, but they tried again. Sure. They got a little more assistance this time. A priest... And I don't think it's the same priest we'll be talking about more in detail in a little bit. He visited and agreed that there were spirits in the home. And he recommended that the family clean the home with bleach and ammonia. And also asked them what? to draw crosses on every door and window with anointing oil. He also suggested that they potentially build an altar in the basement. A Catholic priest recommended this? Yes. I was a little weirded out by that too because that seemed doesn't seem like something no. that I've ever heard of because if any if this was anyone's first episode Colleen and I went to Catholic school growing up so we're a little bit more familiar with like Catholic Christians well, versus yeah and others. I mean I was raised in a Catholic family went to church every Sunday it's it, I mean it, we went through years and years of Catholic school yes. so we're familiar with a lot of the traditions and stuff now I don't think it's the anointing the anointing oil makes sense to no me. and I don't think it's unreasonable for somebody to 
go to their local parish priests and be like, look, I'm having a problem. Like, I'm actually legitimately afraid there are spirits in here. And the priest, especially if it's a smallish parish, I can imagine a priest would be like, okay, I'll come bless your home. Right. But I can't imagine a priest would say, yes, I sense dozens of spirits and clean your house with ammonia. Unless he was trying to, like, gently tell them that their house is disgusting. I, may, maybe there is, like, something about using ammonia and or bleach when it comes to cleansing demons yeah. out. Uh, I, that's something I've never really heard of from sure. a Catholic priest, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Regardless, they did all of this. Okay. They cleaned the house, like, deep cleaned it. They anointed all of the windows and doors with the oil and the form of a cross. They also actually did it to each other on their foreheads mm-hmm. with the same oil. And, and then they built an altar in the basement. That's another thing I'm I'm interested by is that the priest recommended they do it and he did not do the anointing and the blessing. Yeah, I don't know. Regardless, this doesn't work. None of this works and sure. it actually makes it worse. Interesting. So what happens in the coming days is that the children would experience episodes where their eyes would bulge out of their heads. And I mean, literally bulge out, but like get huge and like round. And, right, 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 right. And then they would talk in unnaturally deep voices. I mean, that's kind of a trope when it comes yeah. to a haunted house demon type movie. But the youngest boy would sit in his closet and he would talk to somebody that nobody else could see. He would do this hours upon hours, usually at night. Do you, did they say what he was talking about? It, it would like what? be a whispery conversation whenever anyone would get close. He would stop. And he's like seven, right? Yeah, that's the seven-year-old. Oh, God, that's terrifying. The nine-year-old boy would regularly describe to his mother and grandmother what it would be like to die. That's even worse. (laughs) You can explain away an imaginary friend, but you got a nine-year-old talking about... How it feels like to die, yeah. Yeah, that's... Uh, After that happens for a few days, the youngest boy again was actually thrown out of the bathroom by an invisible force. Thrown, just like... Like, like picked up and like just violently thrown out of the room, the bathroom, by nothing. Nothing that you can see, at least. Weird. And then the 12-year-old daughter was smacked by a headboard that was thrown, and that caused her to need stitches. They go to the hospital, and while she was being interviewed by either the nurse or the doctor... She was also saying it felt like when she was sleeping that she was regularly being choked. And then a voice would tell her that she would never see her family again. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Sleepy time scaries. Yeah, uh, that is true. But that's usually a chest pain. Like something sitting on your chest, not grabbing you and choking you. And the voice is a little interesting. Yeah. You'll never see your family. I mean, there were auditory hallucinations with sleep paralysis that i mean that is a potential explanation for that specific thing yeah but that doesn't explain all of this other stuff happening i'm gonna guess this wasn't covered in your research or documentary but was there a history of mental illness in this family i don't think so like schizophrenia i don't think so and the reason i say that is because child protective services will get involved in this story very soon too and they do a you know a deep dive in the family history that's never brought up. Okay. Although it's never said that, you know, it was looked at, but I'm just going to guess no, because it I wasn't I feel like, especially up. if it's as recent as 2012, that's something that would have been looked into. Right. And, like, mentioned in the story. Not yeah. It's not something people gloss over anymore. Right. Because mental illness is a lot more well understood. And I will say this, too, before getting deeper into the story. Almost all of this information like of these events and the story comes from an article from the Indie Star, which is like I think Indiana's biggest like actual newspaper. Sure. And this article was written in I believe it was 2015. So okay. this was even at, later after the events of this story. I feel like that would just add to the fact that, you know, a lot of people are more accepting of mental illnesses by this time. So that yeah. would have been brought up if it were Right, because everybody's going to want to look for rational explanations as to, I right. mean, nobody's going to be like ghosts and no other cause. Right. And all of this stuff that we've talked about so far, most of it is stuff that has happened only to the family, right? Okay, yep, yeah. Almost everything that happens from this point onward 
is corroborated by other witnesses. Mm. So this is where it gets a little more spooky, if you want to use that word. But it's also <laughs> a little sure. more it's also a little more believable now at this point. Okay, so they've been in this house for a few months. A few they months, noticed yeah. some weird stuff. Kid levitates, other kid gets thrown out of a bathroom. Um threats are being made by invisible ghosts things. Threats um, are being made. People are getting injured now too. So there is actual physical okay. So Child Protective Services now is getting involved because now there is evidence of actual injury happening to these kids when the daughter had to go to the hospital for the stitches. Mm -hmm. So they're investigating the situation now. Meanwhile, the family decided to go to their physician for a psych evaluation for the children. Okay, good choice, good choice. During the visit, and this is all, actually I should have said, this happens on April 19th of 2012. So okay. this all happens on this date. During the visit, the youngest son cursed the doctor in a demonic voice and then an invisible force threw the child into a wall. So they're not even in the house. No, this is now in the hospital or in some sort of uh healthcare facility. Okay. So because CPS was already involved, they have a representative on site. Mm -hmm. Her name is Valerie Washington. So she has now been assigned to this family because they were already there. Yep. And she goes in as well to kind of interview along with the doctor as well, the children, to mm -hmm. see what's happening. Mm -hmm. During this, she witnessed the son growl, and this is still the youngest son. She witnessed him growl, his eyes roll back into his head, and then he started choking his older brother. They were then separated, and then later in the evening... The seven-year-old said, it's time to die. I will kill you. What? Then the older brother started headbutting his grandmother in the stomach. Okay, if I was the child services employee, I would be like, you are not going back home. <laughs> like, there's clearly something wrong here. Well, here's the craziest part. Then the nine-year-old, the older brother, gets a very weird grin on his face, and he walks up to the wall behind him backwards he walks to this wall backwards then it looks like he's going to start walking up the wall and he glides up the wall without his feet ever actually touching the wall and then he glides up to the ceiling and flips over his grandmother lands on his feet in front of her this is all witnessed by valerie washington the child protective services worker or the representative and what? the doctor and a registered nurse so I'm picturing like a Michael Jackson. He's walking backwards and then like, hey, hey, and then slides he, and up then the he wall. Basically flips like anime style along the wall up, up to the ceiling and then back over his grandmother and lands on his feet. What? All of this is corroborated, as I said, by the CPS worker because she puts this in her official report. Then... then the registered nurse, Willie Lee Walker, corroborates the story in an interview as well. Jeez. That's odd. I'm not sure what happens now if they keep them for a little while for observation or if they send them back home after a while. <laughs> because it wasn't clear. Sure. But a little time passes. And on April 20th, the hospital chaplain, after I assume some contemplation and investigation, trying to figure out what happened. He calls Reverend Michael Maginois, asking him to perform an exorcism on the nine-year-old boy. Okay. All right. A couple days pass, and on the 22nd, Reverend Maginois visits the family home to interview them. He wants to rule out, you know, supernatural, ghost, sure, type and stuff. Like we've talked in our episode about the exorcism of Anna Eklund. It's very rare, at least the way we were brought up Catholic school, we were taught exorcisms are not just a thing that are thrown around not, in the Catholic not Church. Not anymore, no. Right. You have to go through a vigorous process, and I I mean, I'm making up the statistic, but it feels like 90% of the time you would get rejected right and and told to pursue, you know, non-religious means. I don't think this reverend is Catholic, though. Okay, and I yes, there are other... Right. So he's not. But the thing is, he might be because he has to talk to a bishop, too. So I don't know. They call him reverend. And usually there's not reverends in the Catholic Church. Mm. 
So I don't know. It's a little unclear and it's not specified. Sure. But regardless, he goes to the family home on the 22nd. After about two hours, nothing happens. They're probably keeping quiet because a priest is there, right? Oh, so he's just there hanging out, observing. He and like kind of going through the rooms sure. and trying to recreate the circumstances uh, for things that have already happened to the family. Mm-hmm. Nothing's happening for two hours. But then the lights in the bathroom start flickering. So he goes to the bathroom, stops. Sure. Then he walks away and it happens again. Of course. So he keeps doing this. And every time he gets close to the bathroom, the lights stop flickering. All of the family is like in the living room. So none of them are like doing it themselves, like by flipping the switch or anything. So this is happening. And then Latoya said she was having a bad headache. The reverend put a cross on her head and she started convulsing. Interesting reaction to, I have a headache. To put a cross straight on her head and not be like, hey, you need some... He's probably trying a little of everything. Sure. <laughs> I don't know like, if she said something that made him suspicious sure. or anything. But regardless, that happens. And he was convinced that the family was being tormented by demons. Not ghosts, demons. Hmm. He blessed the home before leaving and began to process the request to get permission from the bishop to perform an exorcism. Okay. At this time, the family leaves to live temporarily with a relative. Good choice. Nice. But a week passes, and then Latoya and Rosa return to the home along with the CPS worker to check the condition of the home. This is still Valerie Washington, the same one from before. Mm-hmm. Two police officers also accompanied them just out of courtesy. You know, maybe they wanted. Or is that an like extra protocol? Set of well, police haven't really been involved yet. Maybe it is protocol for CPS to bring an officer Right, with. like before they can bring the kids back in the home? or Maybe. Reg- like regardless, that. there's two officers that I also come with. Gotcha. One of them, I believe, is unnamed, but the other one is Captain Austin. <clears throat> Excuse me, Captain Austin. <laughs> I thought you said Captain Awesome before you cleared <laughs> your throat, and I was like, all right, interesting twist to this story. So this is all in their actual report that they made. Okay. The officer's equipment would start to malfunction, always saying it would have low battery, even though they kept putting fresh ones in. And what kind of equipment are we talking? I think probably like their their radios. Um, I'm trying to think what other electronics a regular police okay, officer Okay, so would they have. didn't bring specific equipment in. No, not like ghost hunting equipment. Sure. It's their actual police equipment so i think definitely a radio but i don't know what else they would have that would require a battery sure maybe flashlights too they also had a recorder just a regular okay so so that was also another one that would do it so they were recording audio and after reviewing it later on they heard an unknown voice that was calling out to them they also took pictures and some of the pictures would contain silhouettes and ghostly images When they left, one of the officers, this one is actually Captain Austin, he's driving home and the radio station would constantly switch stations back and forth without him touching the dial and the passenger seat moved backward and forward by itself. In his own car? In his car, yes, his squad car. (laughs) So on May 10th, Latoya, Rosa, Captain Austin, two other officers, and a new social worker returned to the home. The new social worker is named Samantha Illick. Okay. Is is there an explanation as to why? Yeah, Valerie Washington refused to return. Okay. She was too freaked out and said, I'm not dealing with this anymore. Wow. So a new CPS worker is assigned. Okay. Reverend Imaginois also comes as well. They all go to the basement, which is covered in cement flooring everywhere, except a patch underneath the stairs that go down to the basement. This is just a dirt patch. Mm. I think that's actually kind of common in a lot of houses, too. Just, like, having a patch of dirt that's not cemented over underneath the stairs. I'm not sure why that's common, but I've been in a lot of houses where that's the case. Sure. The officers actually dug there because there was a lot of activity that was happening with that door before Mm -hmm. that was leading up from the basement. And I think the bathroom is right next to there, too. So they start digging there. They find a bunch of weird stuff. Most of it is stuff that could have just rolled down into the basement. Um, From, like, previous tenants. Yeah, and just, like, gets into the dirt, and then just as, you know, stuff moves around, and dust and stuff, you know, just gets settled into the dirt. Right. But things that are found, just some random things, a pink press on fingernail, white panties, coins, 
just a bunch of random stuff. All, all of it's pretty, you know, could have been anything except the panties are a little bit of a weird Can thing. We stop calling women's underwear panties. Fine, white women's underwear. Thank you. I'll call yours manties. <laughs> manties. So during this, while they're digging randomly in this dirt patch, probably just trying to find something to sure. do. I'm just amazed that police are taking this seriously. I, I, Now that you mentioned it, I bet they had to come initially for the previous time because of the caseworker, just because sure. they're investigating the home. But Captain Austin wanted to come back. I yeah. think he's like kind of convinced, convinced that there's something weird going on. And since he's already experienced it, he wants to help out. Yeah, just I've listened to a lot of true crime and a lot of times the cops are like, well, you know, just keep keep going with life. But this time they're like a ghost were in. I mean, they've already experienced weird stuff. So they're like, you know, this is unexplainable. So we're true. In, we're yes, in it. but we got you're spending cop man hours on this. Well, it's tormenting the family, right? Sure. And it's causing <laughs> them to... crimes. Well, and it's causing them to freak out hospital staff, too. That's so. a valid point. So caseworker Illick is investigating throughout the top floor of the house. She's investigating the bedrooms. And in one of the bedrooms, she notices on the Venetian blinds some oil, like an oily substance. So she touches it with her hand. It immediately turns white. Ew. Her hand. Oh. <laughs> Not the oil, the hand. The um, whole hand? Not the whole hand. She, I think she touched it with, like, the pinky side of her hand, just kind of, like, brushed against it to feel it. And, like, the whole half of her hand, that's, like, the pinky and the ring finger down the palm, turns, like, a pale white. What? Are there um, pictures? There are pictures, yes. <gasps> she obviously freaks out. Yeah. She has a panic attack, and she just has to leave. Officers continue to investigate... And they wiped the oil off with, with a something like a towel or something. Sure. I'm not sure what they used. It kept reappearing when they would leave the room and then come back. There would be more oil there. So they're looking at the ceiling. They're yeah. looking at other stuff. Nothing seems to be dripping oil or putting oil on the blinds. It just keeps appearing there. Yeah. And they keep wiping it off and it keeps reappearing. What? They're not taking samples? I don't recall anything like that mentioned. But, I mean, what if it was like a bio weapon? I mean, if it immediately, you know, hurts this woman's yeah. hand, maybe, maybe not. And I also did forget to mention, she said that it felt like her pinky was broken. Like the pain was so immense that it felt like someone had just taken her pinky and just snapped it. Ugh, don't like. Now, this is where it gets a little maybe, maybe not. A week later, after visiting the home, caseworker Illick had a series of bad luck events. She got in a motorcycle accident and sustained third degree burns. Some time, some more time passes. And a month later, she broke three ribs jet skiing and broke a hand after running into a table and broke an ankle while running. Okay. Here's what I'm going to say. You were jet skiing and not a motorcycle. So, uh, true. Those injuries are like, not too surprised. Like I, but all of that happening in just about a month, time yeah mm, i mean see and that's why i said maybe maybe not but regardless you know that's some bad luck yes sure i will give you that so maybe maybe not caused by her experience but she was freaked out regardless yeah maybe she got cursed by cur curse oil <laughs> <laughs> so about a month passes and reverend maginlaw finally receives approval from bishop meltzak to exercise latoya latoya because she experienced those convulsions when he put the cross on her head. That's the only thing he personally experienced. Everything else was secondhand stories. So he only got permission to do it to her. Okay. She would have been, I mean, Rose, Rosa would have been my last choice. But yeah, she Latoya never, would have been pretty close to my last choice. Yeah. Considering the levitation and the backward ceiling well, walking all clip. Well, and all the children were, kids. like, having bulging eyes and speaking in demonic voices, too. Yeah, I mean, if I had, she might have just had a seizure brought on by an intense headache. You, you reminded me of something, too. I didn't write this down because I didn't really think it was too relevant. But Rosa is on record saying she believes all of this, but she also thinks that she has a natural immunity to demons. Interesting she says She says that she was born with a gift that protects her from evil spirits and evil forces. Oh, well, me too. And she has a like 
almost like a guardian angel that protects her. So that's why she never experienced anything that directly harmed her or possessed her. Okay. You're not going to share that with your grandkids? <laughs> no, right? <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I just thought that was kind of interesting. And you reminded is, me of it. That is interesting. So Reverend Maginar received that approval. He performs three major exorcisms, two in English and the last in Latin. Okay. Latoya would convulse during these rituals, and at the end of the third ritual, she fell asleep due to exhaustion. But it seemed to have actually worked. The family experienced no more activity in the home, and after living there for a little while longer, they were finally able to move out, and they moved to Indianapolis. And now they say they live without fear. Except for Mike Pence was elected governor. (laughs) Yes, that's true. The landlord, after they move out, Decides to put the home up for sale. He doesn't want to have another tenant. Sure. So he, I'd want to get rid of it, too. So he puts the home up for sale, and no one's really interested in buying it for quite some time. Because <laughs> this story that was on the Indie Star mm-hmm. is the most popular story they have ever had, like, on their website, by far. I, I mean, I for a reason. I don't remember the actual figures. It was mentioned in the documentary I'm going to talk about in a second. But, like millions and millions of clicks and views on this article and the next most popular is like maybe a 20,000 sure. like this story is huge yeah yeah i mean that makes sense but that poor homeowner <laughs> right so he can't sell this home but it's like the watcher a little bit except it's different now because someone catches on and sees this article you're probably not familiar with this man but it's none other than zach baggins creator and star of the show ghost adventures Ah. he is enthralled by this story sure and he purchases the home Mm, interesting investment yeah so him and his crew create a documentary about this house after he purchases it and it's called demon house i have very mixed feelings about this documentary okay so you watched it i did watch it this is basically what it's about So this all happens after the story that I just told about the Amons family. Okay. So he interviews prior residents to the Amons before he tries to to talk to LaToya. They talk about their own experiences, which range from crazy stuff to not so crazy stuff. Some are more believable than others. Sure. But then he tries to interview LaToya and they refuse to kind of be involved with this documentary. They just want to put it behind So Right. And what that means to me specifically is that this family didn't do this as a publicity stunt sure they're not trying to monetize or anything this story yeah they're just trying to move on so they have nothing to really gain they were just trying to get out of there right i mean it sounds like their paper their story was told in like a public newspaper it's not like they sold the story to like the daily star right and as far as i know maybe this happened maybe not And it was kind of alluded to in this documentary, too. But maybe Latoya Amons and Rosa were trying to sell the story to a film studio to make a movie about it. Okay. I mean, honestly, if this this actually happened to me, I would totally do that, too. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I was thinking the same thing. Like, I feel like a lot of unfortunate things are turned into movies. And that the the people did not participate them solely for the sake of selling their story. Right. Do you know what I mean? So, like, I would want to monetize my unfortunate yeah. Well, and the way I look at it too is she refused. She and her family refused to take part in this documentary from Zach Baggins. Sure. And because their experiences were corroborated by so many different people, the doctors, the nurse, the social workers, and the police, mm-hmm. like how hard would it be to have all of that be made up? Right. Yeah. So I think so this, I do have a question. Yeah. Do you think that maybe she refused to participate in the documentary because she was in the process of selling the story and couldn't participate? So, okay. So I remember from this documentary, it was alluded to that being the reason. Mm. But honestly, Zach Baggins is kind of a douchebag. (laughs) And I think he's just trying to be an asshole and say that's what happened. I tried doing a little more research, but basically everything just brings it back to this indie star that sure. seems to be the main source. Yeah. So I haven't. I didn't see any actual news that Eamon's family sold their story to anyone. Okay. So I don't think that's a thing. I'm sure a lot of these f- 
film studios like Bloomhouse or these other horror movie studios would have loved to purchase this story. Yeah. I just don't know if she doesn't want to right. or what. Regardless, I don't think that happened. And this this documentary, there were actually some things that convinced me, like added to the story of like prior families and stuff too. But there were some other individuals that like definitely seemed like it was produced, you know, like mm-hmm. there were kind of fed stories to yeah. talk about, especially right. his crew, because they experienced stuff too. And it seems uh, maybe, maybe true, maybe not. But the thing is this, all, all of that crazy stuff happened to the Amons family. So I'm more inclined to believe it being possible that sure. this stuff could happen to the crew while they're in this house spending like the night in the house. Mm-hmm. But it just seems a little corny. Well, it's a, it's odd to me because the Amons family brought these demons out of the house. The strange things were happening outside of the house as well as inside. So it seems right. more to me that. And not just the family, too. Like that one attached itself to, to the, the, police. Co- the police car. Right. So I'm. And also possibly the social worker that experienced so many accidents, if you believe that or not. Yeah, so I'm intrigued. You can't trust reality TV producers, so, especially, it seems to me that there would be, like, lasting repercussions to them. Right, yes. And that kind of is the reason why, and just a little bit more about this documentary, documentary that's the reason why Zach Beggins claims that it took him so long to release the documentary because this Indie Star article came out in 2015. Mm-hmm. He purchased the home and made this documentary in just a few weeks. Mm-hmm. But he didn't release the movie until 2018. So it took a, almost three years. Okay. And I mean, I'm sure some of that time was, you know, actually editing and putting it together, of course. Sure. But he said he was so on the fence about releasing it at all. Because he was worried that it would have lasting effects on people. Because he was worried that because these demons were able to latch onto things and leave the actual residence, he was worried that it could almost work like a curse tape. Not like you would actually be possessed if you watched this documentary, but you would have like a series of bad luck, just like that caseworker. That sounds to me like somebody who's trying to sell their documentary. (laughs) And the documentary also starts with like a disclaimer that pretty much says the oh, same geez. thing, like watch at your own risk, whatever. But regardless, he says it's a cursed film. And at the very end of the documentary, he actually destroys the house. Oh. And it, so there's no way too. to prove or corroborate his story <laughs> at all. No, no. And I, I mean, maybe, maybe not the point. Regardless, Zach Beggins is a huge, like, he's the definition of just like a meathead. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and I mean, I... I kind of like those ghost hunting type shows. I never actually watched Ghost Adventures. That's the one he did. I watched like Ghost Hunters, which I think was like kind of the first one with like a different series of people that I thought was a little less, a little less corny though, because it's him that I don't like. I will admit I maybe seen 10 minutes of one episode of one kind of that. Like I've never He's he's just Consistently like, and I, I mean, I don't want to like thing. rag on this guy too much, but he's like the type of guy that wears like Ed Hardy shirts and like slicks his hair back with and like makes it big with like gel and stuff and wears like chains. And I mean, like <laughs> to each their own, but he just seems like just the most insufferable person ever. All right. So um, not Everett's type. But he actually made an interesting documentary. Even though I hated him throughout the entire thing, the actual documentary itself was very interesting. And it, a lot of it was with these prior families before the Eamons family, but he mm. actually did show a lot of the source material from that Eamons story. So he showed the picture of that woman's hand. Mm. He he actually interviewed Captain Austin. Captain and, Awesome. Yeah. And he actually was present in a lot of the documentary as well. Just in the house. I don't know. I mean, I I loved and hated the movie. I'm a little intrigued because you've mentioned this a couple times that he interviewed previous tenants. Yeah. How come none of them had previously come out with any sort of haunting stories? Did they have haunted haunting stories or were they did they seem like they were fed to them by the producers? some, Some of them. Yes. Some no. And like it's been a little while since I watched this documentary. So I don't recall the exact specifics. But, like, some of them, 
seemed like they were actually being possessed when they revisited the home. Hmm. But And that's the stuff that seems a little bit more, like, produced yeah. to me. But then there's other people that talk just about what their life was like after they moved out of the house. Ah. And that's the stuff to me that seems a little more real, where sure. it's like it had a lasting mental trauma on them. Yeah. And they, I don't think any of them really experienced as many, like, actual evidence, events of haunting type stuff. But it's just more like they're being cursed, where it's they just have so much yeah. bad luck and, like... I think there was at one point a mention of like a suicide of a child that lived at the house or something. I I don't remember specifically, but I don't know. The movie, the movie, I think, is free on one of those streaming services. So if you're interested, watch it. I think it is worth watching, but just be advised it's a little corny. But what? Why? Why? Why that house? Why? Why that many demons? Why are they so mean? (laughs) Why are they so mean? Yeah, I don't know, because. The house, like I said at the very beginning of the episode, it doesn't seem like it's particularly old. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have a whole lot of history of like death there or anything. I don't know why this house specifically. And it was only the clairvoyance that said there were over 200 spirits. I mean, it could have just been like one evil entity that lived there or something. I don't know. I'm just, I'm intrigued. I mean, I wonder what the history of that particular spot was. Right. And I'm familiar with Gary, Indiana, so I'm not sure if it's like, you know, the trope of like an Indian burial ground or something, Uh, but I don't know. Regardless, this is the this is the only haunted house story that has so many corroborating factors in it where it makes me believe in it because so many people say it happened to them and they witnessed things happening to the family. Yeah, I personally, when it comes to like demon ghost stories, I I have trouble believing what it, it is hard to believe seems... them. As I as we said earlier, like we grew up Catholic, but I wouldn't really consider myself religious anymore. So it, it is very hard for me to believe in like demons and hell and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But then you see stuff like this where there's so many unnatural things happening that's put in <gasps> police reports. What if they're not demons? What if they're fourth dimensional beings? Let's bring this full circle. <laughs> I mean I don't know. Like, I don't think a fourth dimensional being would possess children, you know? Yeah, true. I don't know. Maybe they're sending some bad vibes. That house reeked of bad vibes, (laughs) for sure. So I don't know. I thought that was really cool and interesting. And it's very different from a lot of the other stories about haunted houses. Part of the reason I liked it is because it is so recent. Yeah, very recent and... And corroborated by multiple sources. Healthcare workers, police, social workers. Yeah, it's crazy. So interesting that I found this article to bring up when I was looking for interesting spooky news. Yeah. But I didn't realize what we were going to be talking about. But I came across this article written yesterday. Indiana Priest states that the pandemic has brought more exorcism calls. Interesting. So... Apparently, the Indianans, Indianesians, Indianites, I don't know, have been calling Catholic priests to expel demons from their friends and loved ones in like a frenzy since the pandemic started. According to a priest there who does thousands of exorcisms a year, I was, I should probably state this. This is from, oh, this one's from Tucson News, KVOA.com. Wait, thousands of exorcisms a year? Yes, a Catholic priest who performs thousands of exorcisms a year. They had, like, if it's an actual Catholic exorcism, it has to be, like, approved by either the bishop or the pope. And that's what, maybe things have changed in our short time since Catholic school education. I don't know. But he says that he's seen a higher rate of exorcism calls amid the isolation brought on by the pandemic. Reverend Vince Lampert is an exorcist for the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Indianapolis. And he says, true cases of demon possessions, maybe one a year I've seen. I've seen levitation, eyes rolled to the back of the head, foaming at the mouth, people falling on the floor and slithering like a snake across the ground. He's served as the Archbishop's appointed exorcist for around 15 years. Huh. I just, 
a weird that I would find that article. There's, I mean, I feel like the pandemic isolation is just bringing out everyone's mental health problems. Yeah, like being being trapped with people you may or may not want to be trapped with, like yes. close family that. I, I I just picture like teenagers that you know hate their parents. Yes, and, and their like, parents happen to be kind of religious nuts who are like, "This isn't you. This is the devil." Yeah, I, I, it doesn't surprise me. Like when people are stuck home and can't do what they want to do. Yeah, they're just gonna act out, and then, I mean, if you re- remember from our past exorc- exorcism episode, usually they require a lot of prep too. Yeah, that's why I'm confused. Thousands of exorcisms a year. I'm wondering if maybe there's like definitions of exorcisms that aren't like the full on right. Latin. Well, yeah, so in that Amen story, Latoya received three major exorcisms, mm-hmm. which are the types that can last a really long time. But I guess there's something called a minor exorcism. Maybe that's just like kind of what you, yeah, like a blessing, like kind of what you saw in the movie The Exorcist, where it's literally just a priest coming and like reciting a few verses from a Bible, throwing some holy water on you and using a crucifix. But it's misleading to say thousands of exorcisms. Yeah, for sure. For sure. There's no way a bishop or the Pope is, you know, approving thousands of exorcisms in just this diocese. Indianapolis. Yeah. Let's just end this with Indiana. Get your shit together. What's happening? Yeah, what's going on over there? Are you guys okay? It sounds like Gary, Indiana actually is the portal to hell. You got a portal to hell? You got BTK? You got Mike Pence? Are are we sure BTK is from Indiana? All right, I'm Googling it. Wait, no, he might be from Wichita. Yeah, that's Kansas. Sorry, Indiana. I saddled you with BTK. (laughs) If you have a spooky story for us or a episode topic request yeah or if you just find an interesting spooky article that you would like us to talk about you can send any of that kind of stuff over to us on any of our social media platforms instagram facebook twitter are all at nerdsloughhq and also we have a discord too so i was gonna say that it it's definitely fun to, to talk to people on the Discord as well. Yeah, and I think most of our social medias do have like an invite link somewhere on there. Um, we can may- try to post it. Yeah, we'll post that too. But we also have an email. Yes, you can email us at podcast at nerdsloth.com. I mean, we'll read any email, but if you want to put a little spooky in the subject line, that would be helpful. Yeah. And we will be at you next week with something new. Yeah. Uh, Also update, I'm almost finished with Resident Evil Village, and that game is spooky, and I love it. And next week, I'll probably be done with it. We will see you next time, and we love you. We love you. Bye. Bye. Presented by Nerdsloth, a place for lazy nerds. If you like what you heard, consider donating at patreon.com slash nerdsloth so we can continue bringing you quality shows. Be sure to also leave us a review and share your favorite episodes and clips on social media. If you're looking for more content, visit us at nerdsloth.com.